is Archbishop William Laurie of Baltimore, and you are listening to Catholic Review Radio. Catholic Review Radio is a weekly radio program and podcast hosted by Catholic Review Media, the news operation of the Archdiocese of Baltimore. We are grateful to our Catholic partners for the opportunity to bring quality Catholic programming to our listeners each week. Welcome to Catholic Review Radio. I'm George Matasek. Wayman Scott IV, a parishioner of Church of the Nativity in Timonium, is an up-and-coming Black Catholic artist whose works are gaining national and international attention. A former youth minister at St. John in Columbia, who also served as a chaplain and grief counselor at Gilcrest Hospice, Scott infuses both his Catholic faith and his African-American heritage into his art. An impressionist sculptor, Scott has completed statues of the Pieta, Mother Mary Lang, Blessed Francis Xavier Silos, Frederick Douglass, and several others. Wayman currently serves as Associate Director of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion at Gilcrest and GBMC Health Partners. He is also an Embark Fellow at Baltimore Clayworks. Here's our interview with Wayman Scott IV. Wayman Scott, thanks so much for being here on Catholic Review Radio. George, I'm glad to be here. I, I first met Wayman probably about 15 years ago or so. I, I was working in a young adult Catholic ministry and we met at an event. I'm not, I can't remember what it was, but after that we became Facebook friends. And then years later, I, I happened to be scrolling through my Facebook feed and I saw that Wayman posted these amazing images of the, the, the artistic work that he was sculpting at the time. And I, I was just blown away by his talent. So I, I reached out to him and we wound up doing a story that caught some national and international attention. And then things just went from there. We've done some other work together. So I thought it'd be nice to introduce you to our radio audience. So thanks again for being here. Glad to be here. And I always love talking about my art and, uh, and what that means. Could you tell us how you first got interested in, in art going back to your childhood? As, as a kid, I always appreciated arts and crafts, and I think there's a baseline to that. However, um, with, with me, the, the clay, working with clay was something special. And I remember my, uh, my sister had uh, a science experiment that she did. I must have been maybe six or seven. She was probably eight or nine. And it was the experiment with the uh, baking soda and the volcano, and she built it out of clay. So... <laughs> Me being the uh, little brother that I that I was, uh, uh, I felt and feeled around and tussled with this uh, project and found the clay and um, eventually uh, just played with it and I I used it to actually make my toys. Just later, uh, in an art class in elementary school, the uh, we were doing a, a clay assignment and the teacher stepped out for a minute. And I was like, all right, cool. I can make my toy. So I built a dinosaur and then the kids were kind of gathered around my table and they were, they were looking at me and my dinosaur. And I said, what are y'all looking at? You better hurry up and make your toy before the teacher comes back. So <laughs> with me, it was more of uh, just like a great way to get free toys, make free toys. Um, and I didn't realize it was more of an art form until um, later on in my life. And at that point, you, you didn't really have any training, right? It was just your innate talent shining through. Yeah. And how did you progress in your art? How did you become more serious about the study of art? 
human figure was was important to me and like a lot of uh children uh my age i i loved comic books i would get wizard magazine every every week i would work on drawing these comic book characters and um in high school uh, eventually going into ap art it became more of a study in human figure and um even in college um that was a, a focus of mine i wasn't an art major but i took several art courses and most of them were focused on on human figure and i i worked very hard to develop um a skill um, at drawing people and uh was able to sell pieces and sketches and and prints um but it wasn't until maybe my second semester of college that i got into a human figure ceramics class and um i clicked um in a totally different way with um with ceramics able to just uh take the person and 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 bring them to life if you will make make a a recreation of them and the difference between painting and drawing or, or 2D as we call it in the art world and and 3D is that sculpture is is 3D meaning it's a part of your world it's a part of your your space if you're remembering someone if you're thinking of someone having them uh physically having a physical representation of them in your space is um, something powerful and moving. I know there's a strong connection between art and grief in your personal history. In fact, it, it led you to art and it also led you away from art for a while and then back again. Could you tell us about that, how grief comes to play in your art? So I, I experienced what we call in the um, counseling world uh, anticipatory grief. So it was in my uh, maybe sophomore year of college, sophomore early junior year of college, when uh, my mother uh, started getting sick. Uh, we thought it was a uh, like drop foot or Soldier's syndrome or something else. And then finally, she got the diagnosis uh, of ALS. And, you know, our mother has just been, she was always a rock in our family. And she got that diagnosis around the same time or started getting sick around the same time that my grandfather died. So these two pillars of our family, uh, we, we lost one in my grandfather. And then my mother, the deterioration of, of Lou Gehrig's disease is such um, a graphic thing to watch where your mind stays intact, stays focused, uh, but your body um, slowly withers away. And I remember I was... Uh, coming downstairs, it must have been maybe summertime or a weekend. I was at my parents' house. My mother would love to play the piano. Um, and, and I remember growing up hearing her play the piano. And I saw her sitting at the piano just in tears and, and crying because she couldn't she couldn't play the keys anymore. And that part of her life was over. And um, up to that point, before my mother got sick and, and had to leave work, um, I was uh I was fortunate I, I was lucky I didn't know how lucky I, I was because I didn't have to worry about a lot of student loans I didn't have to you know foot the bill for for college but then um, when you know my mom got sick and she wasn't able to work and you know the cost uh, of supporting her um, that that net that I had was gone and I, I really had to focus on the essentials so I I stepped away from from visual art and focus on mainly my degree, some student activities. 
and I must, I've worked so many different jobs um, in college to pay for my education. I didn't, you know, take out a lot of student debt, but I worked as a janitor. I worked um, at a Heckinger's. I worked at the highs. I worked at the mall and just everything I could to, to make ends meet. But, you know, when you talk about that hierarchy of needs, um, at that point, I saw um, art as, as a luxury and especially ceramics. Um, and and I, if I did anything, it would have been, uh, you know, 2D here and there. I still sold a couple of prints um, that I did in my, in my youth, but um, I, I really stepped away from it and ceramics totally. The difference with ceramics is that you you can't just up and and start sculpting because you need an infrastructure. George, anybody can take um, I can take a paper and some pencils. I can start drawing, but if I want to make ceramics, I need a place to build. I need a place to sculpt. I need a place to dry out. I need a kiln to um, uh, bisque fire it in. I need a kiln to glaze fire it. And, and some of these materials, uh, uh, the cheapest kilns you'll find are still several thousand dollars. So without that in, in my life, you know, it, it just wasn't something that was uh, available. And, you know, the, the, the blessing of that, though, I was able to spend time caring for my mother um, and I was able to spend time in ministry. I, I worked at the archdiocese. I was able to take something that was sacred to me, like my faith, and work in, in that field as my job, as, as my profession. So, you know, we, we try to take creativity, you know, wh wherever we go. And for me, that was in youth ministry. And then eventually you actually went into grief ministry for a while, and you're, you're still involved in grief ministry today. Into, into grief ministry, gr grief counseling, and it was sometime after my mother passed. She died um, at the very tail end of 2016, I think new, near New Year's Day, um, 2016, uh, she passed away. And I uh, continued to pursue my work um, in, in chaplaincy and getting um, accreditation for that. Um, I had worked toward getting certified with the uh, National Association for Catholic Chaplains. I had gotten married <laughs> right before my uh, uh, certification interview, which would have taken place in Connecticut. My wife's doctor moved the due date up. <laughs> so um, the due date was the same week that I would have um, gone through um, the chaplaincy certification. Uh, but I eventually was able to work at Gilchrist and serve as a chaplain there, helping families through grief after having lost you know, my, my own mother and the grief being fresh, um, being able to walk with people as they um, explore their own journey of end of life or explore um, the emotions with the knowledge that their family member is going to um, experience end of life. And that is um, was a very sacred walk uh, for me. And it was um, one of my patients in, in hospice, um, a, a gentleman, and he actually encouraged me to go into Clayworks. It was a healing experience and environment for me. So we had this situation where, yes, I was uh, a chaplain and eventually a grief counselor, and I was helping other people heal. But all while I was doing that, I was on my own healing journey and doing it through clay. And that patient really challenged you, didn't he? Could you talk about that? He challenged you to, to get back into art? 
Well, I was, <laughs> I was making cake art. I was um, uh, making these cakes. I would, I would uh, give it to people at our team meeting. If somebody had a new baby or a marriage or a retired, I would make a cake and theme it and sculpt it. And this patient was somebody who was crafty, artistic himself. So as a chaplain, we do whatever we can to, to connect with people. Um, and we call this use of self. So I showed him um, some of my own cake art and he got really excited about it and inquired about, us, you know, do, do you sculpt? And I mentioned, well, you know, years ago I did. And I was thinking about this place called Clayworks. He's like, I know Clayworks, you better, what are you doing, man? Getting Clayworks, man, you better, better get some work done in that, man. So, so uh, you know, when, when, when a man who is facing, um, end of life makes such a passionate suggestion, you tend to listen to it, George. You tend to listen <laughs> to their words. <laughs> well, our guest today is Wayman Scott IV. He is a parishioner of Church of the Nativity in Timonium, a Catholic artist, and he's based at Baltimore Clayworks. We're going to take a little break, and when we come back, we'll continue our conversation. I'm George Matasek. You're listening to Catholic Review Radio. We'll be back in a moment. Archdiocese of Baltimore makes the protection of children a leading priority in its parishes, schools, and other ministries. The Archdiocese seeks to keep kids safe through training and background checks and by implementing a zero-tolerance policy for anyone credibly accused of abusing a child. For more information about the Archdiocese's efforts to keep our children safe, please visit www.archbalt.org accountability. Catholic News from the Archdiocese of Baltimore and around the world with the Catholic Review. At St. Mary's Cemetery in Howard County, a project is underway to revitalize the final resting place of enslaved people. The 3.2-acre Catholic burial ground, once associated with Dorigan Manor, a pre-colonial manor built in the early 1700s and owned by the Carroll family. Deacon Alan Green of the Church of the Resurrection in Ellicott City is spearheading efforts to restore the cemetery, especially after learning he has an ancestor buried there. Quote, The more I got to digging around and looking at the burial records, I realized an ancestor of mine was buried there, he said. This was a first for me. I felt a sense of obligation to dig in and do what I could to help restore the area. End quote. According to church records from St. Louis Clarksville, there are at least 163 burials in the cemetery, with at least 61 of them black Americans who were likely servants or enslaved people who worked at the manor. Deacon Green credited two local Girl Scouts for bringing attention to the neglected cemetery while working on their Silver Award project. The cemetery has virtually been untouched since 1991, he said. Howard County, the legal owner of the property, has applied for a grant through the African American Heritage Preservation Program to help in the conservation of the cemetery grounds. Howard County Executive Calvin Ball said in a written statement that the preservation and conservation of the historically segregated black cemetery, quote, will not only serve as a model for the treatment of other similar sites, but it will also afford us the opportunity to gain perspective, resilience, and knowledge to help shape our present and future, end quote. For more on this story, visit catholicreview.org. Churches in Jordan are canceling Christmas celebrations in solidarity with Gaza as violence in the Palestinian enclave mounts. Leaders of Jordan's Council of Churches announced November 5th the cancellation of all festivities and events to express deepening concern over the humanitarian crisis engulfing Palestinian civilians in Gaza. For more on this story, visit catholicreview.org. For Catholic Review Media, 
I'm Kevin Parks. This is Archbishop William Laurie of Baltimore, and you are listening to Catholic Review Radio. Welcome back to Catholic Review Radio. I'm George Matisek. Our guest today is Wayman Scott IV. He's a parishioner of Church of the Nativity in Timonium and an African-American Catholic artist who is based at Baltimore Clayworks. Uh, Wayman, could you talk about how your Catholic faith is expressed in your art, especially as a Black Catholic, how you connect your faith and your African-American culture with your art? Following the death of, of, of Freddie Gray, in 2015, and then uh, George Floyd in, in 2020, um, it, it really brought to light uh, some of the systemic racism in, involved in the criminal justice system and, and in policing. And when I look at um, Black men and women uh, being killed, and sometimes even the, the people that, that killed them are not even charged. So I wanted to show the divinity in, in our community. So. Having been inspired by Renaissance artists, I wanted to recreate uh, the Pieta, and I wanted to do it in the image and likeness of Black people, with um, Jesus as a Black man in modern clothing, and Mary as a Black woman um, in the more traditional clothing. So um, I actually approached two uh, colleagues at Gilchrist who had um, both different experiences with um, policing, and um, uh, one of them, the man that played uh, Jesus, uh, shared about um, his experience with uh, police harassment. And the woman that played Mary has two brothers that are uh, police officers, right? So you have both of these people who have radically different experiences with police, but they both support the movement for, for Black lives. And as an artist, uh, the work that I do, I can uphold uh, the sanctity of life I can uphold and share figures and stories that inspire people. Being able to sculpt someone like Mother Mary Lang, um, a hero and, and soon to be saint, um, is an honor because it sheds light on um, the, the journey of Black Catholics and then how the church has impacted the Black community by having a Catholic school, uh, by having one of the oldest Catholic schools in the country founded right here in, in Maryland. Um, I also um, highlight people that, uh, that, that, that walk with those who are marginalized, like um, Sid Francis Silos, uh, and creating a sculpture of him for, his, uh, for the sacred shrine of St. Peter and, and Paul, because the story is, is, is similar. So when we look at the church, when we look at, at social justice, when we look at what we, what we are called to do as Catholics, um, we can outline that in art. And oftentimes, for me, the saints are a way to display that. And then other heroes in equity and in, in social justice, like Frederick Douglass or, or Congressman Cummings or, you know, what have you, the Trailblazers. Benjamin Banneker is my most recent piece. So as, um, as an artist, I can, I can share a story that I can't necessarily share uh, in the same way with DEI, and I can't share that story in the same way as, as a counselor. So it really puts me in a unique environment and situation. When you're working on art, whether it be in inspiration for art or doing the physical work of art, do you feel a divine 
inspiration or how how does your faith come into play there in in the creation of the art or the conception of the art when i'm working and and you can look at it as answering the call so if you're working and if you're doing anything and you feel like you have been been called or, or led to this field you're doing something that is set out for you to do so if god has a plan for, for all of us and we're following his plan there is something sacred in that and for me it's art and i feel like when i am in the studio and i'm sculpting for two three four five hours six hours sometimes i call it the zone time has no meaning I will not know what time it is until my stomach starts hurting. And I look at the clock and I realize I haven't eaten anything um, in four or five hours. And I've been moving heavy clay and lifting statues and doing this hard labor intensive work. But, but it's a sacred space. It, it's a sacred space and it, it's a healing space. And, and not just for me, but even anecdotally, George, I have met people um, who have, who have been impacted by pain and they have come to Baltimore Clayworks to heal. And one of my very first classes at Baltimore Clayworks, um, a, a young woman was in the class and we each had a project we were making and she was making this beautiful, gorgeous turtle shaped vessel. And at, one, at the end of one of the classes, we stayed late, we were cleaning up and she told me about what this was, was for and who it was for, it was for her son. Who, um, who was killed and she was making an urn for, for his ashes. And it sounds, um, you know, this might sound, you know, dark or, or painful to, to share, but it's important because to her, it was uh, a healing and to her, it was a safe space. To someone, another person I know that was involved in the Capitol Gazette, was a survivor in the Capitol Gazette, a mass shooting in Annapolis. She came to Clayworks and she used it as a space of healing. So time and time again, um, I have seen art heal. And even as a counselor and serving through Gilchrist at a, a city school, I incorporated art. I incorporated sculpture. Um, I incorporated clay because that allowed young people to have a tactical sensation. And um, it was it provided them an opportunity to um, express their words in a way that they otherwise might not have been able to do. What are some of the projects you're working on now? Now I am working on a, a decorative cane head series. So um, it's something new. Typically when you, when you think about my work, you think of um, you know these giant life-size pieces, but um, an actual um, head is something that's smaller, it's more accessible, it's something people can take out and about, and price-wise it's something that is uh, more accessible. And then I'm also working on a piece with the Veterans Boxers Association um, for Joe Gans, who was the first uh, African-American world boxing champion. And he was born right here in Baltimore City. You mentioned the work you did with Blessed Francis Silos, which is in Cumberland at an outdoor shrine at St. Peter and Paul, the, the shrine of St. Peter and Paul in Cumberland. Where can people see your other work? Yes, you can go on to waymanscott.com and there will be a gallery and descriptions of uh, some of my work and uh, my process. What advice would you have for anyone who's interested in exploring art, even if they don't have the talent for art? I think everybody is called to creativity in, in some in some way. And I wanna go broad with that, George. Um, 
because it's not just visual art. It could be music. It could be uh, design. It could be uh, a clever way uh, of writing. Art is in everything we do in some way, uh, shape, or form. But find a community. So that would be um, my advice. Find a community or, or a mentor. And um, just about every type of art has that around. Wayman, we only have about 30 seconds left, but I was hoping you might be able to share quickly just a little bit of information about your work in diversity, equity, and inclusion at Gilchrist and GBMC Health Partners. Gilchrist and GBMC, we're trying to drive health equity, and I'm grateful to be a part of that. If you go to uh, GBMC Baltimore, if you Google that, it's a way to give you access to primary care, and we want to make primary care and health care more equitable by incorporating mental health and wraparound services. Great. Well, our guest today has been Catholic artist Wayman Scott IV, a parishioner of Church of the Nativity in Timonium and a Catholic artist based at Baltimore Clayworks. Once again, if you want to see some of Wayman's work, visit his website at waymanscott.com. That's waymanscott.com, W-A-Y-M-A-N-S-C-O-T-T.com. Wayman, thanks again for being here. George. For Catholic Review Radio, I'm George Matisek. Thanks for listening. Remember the spirit of your parish community, the power of worshiping together, the warmth of friends new and old who share your faith. Join us for Mass this weekend. Visit archbelt.org to find a Catholic parish near you. Feel the joy. You're probably not getting much church news in your daily newspaper or on your local TV station. The Catholic Review is the only publication in the Archdiocese of Baltimore that covers the Catholic Church full-time. There are so many ways to stay in touch with the Catholic Review. Pick up the monthly magazine at your parish or have it delivered to your home. Get fresh news every day online at catholicreview.org. Subscribe to our e-newsletter for twice-weekly updates just text CR Media to 84576. Follow the Catholic Review on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Catholic Review Media will inspire, teach, inform, and engage you wherever your faith takes you. Read it today in print or online at catholicreview.org. That's catholicreview.org. Tune in to Catholic Review Radio next week, available on WMET 1160 AM and 103.1 FM. Also, WSJF 92.7 FM in the Sykesville area and WVTO 92.7 FM in Baltimore City. Check us out on SoundCloud or your favorite podcast app. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Catholic Review Radio. As we prepare for the week ahead, let us do so in prayer together as one community of faith. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let us also ask the blessing and intercession of our Blessed Mother as we pray, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. May Almighty God bless us and keep us always in his love. <laughs>